up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brandlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, I'm Robert Denfeld. So we are back. I know yeah. it has been a while. Too uh, long. In our term, yeah, about a month hiatus. Um, I've been very busy moving. Rob, you've been busy as well. Uh, turns out moving is extremely time-consuming. It's the worst part of um, life. <laughs> the worst thing you can possibly the, do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the absolute worst. No, um, it is, it's up there. I mean, I only moved about 15 blocks away from my current apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. Still the same zip code, but the hours spent, I mean, I don't want to tally that up because right. it just would be depressing. And we kind of needed to put things on hold for for a month to get that in order. Well, and it's uh, great to be back. We're back finally. now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And to kind of make up for lost time in this episode, we're really going to cover a lot of ground here, like more than we've ever covered in the short history of this podcast. Yes, I think we have like seventeen or eighteen different topics we're going to hit on, but it's going to be yeah, saying Sounds that daunting. is quite daunting. <laughs> right, right. Are we sure we want to do this? Yeah, but um, they're going to be very quick hits. Yeah, uh, and. We're hoping to keep this episode, yeah, at a at a uh, de- you know a reasonable <laughs> a length. reasonable um, yeah. Sorry, right. yeah. four hours later we're still on no. you know, topic six. <laughs> we're going to keep it under um, under an hour. That's our goal for sure, for sure. But it's basically things that we've consumed or experienced over the last month that we want to talk about, yeah. and it's kind of going to be you know rapid fire takes, almost like PTI, like part of the interruption style, yes. which is a show we loved in college, my favorite sports show sports. ever. Yeah, right, right. So. Um, yeah, yeah, we're excited to, to do this format. And one more thing before we get started, we won't be doing any Game of Thrones in this episode. We're instead saving that for a separate episode, which we'll be publishing after this one. And so don't, you know, angrily think like, you didn't talk about God. Like, <laughs> right. we're, it's coming. Yeah, no, I, it, re- it, it requires its own 30 minute chunk. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll be just a disclaimer there. So yeah. um, do you want to get into things, Rob? Yeah, sure. So um, starting off, we have a few uh, sort of marketing um, topics to discuss, and these include a couple trailers and an announcement. So the first thing is the announcement of True Detective Season 3. The HBO series is coming back for a third season. Uh, This was just announced, I think, a few days ago, maybe Friday. Uh, Yeah, officially confirmed. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been rumored for a few months now and, you know, different iterations and rumors have been going around. But uh, now it's confirmed with uh, starring Mahershala Ali as the probably the big star, the, the lead role. Um, apparently, mm-hmm. he plays a state police detective in Arkansas and it's set in the Ozarks, which is uh, something we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to, to later. later. <laughs> Ozarks um, are so hot right now. <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's going to be written by Nick Pizzolatto, who uh, wrote and created the first two seasons. Uh, you know, some some better than others. Obviously, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out what happened in season two. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, season one was sort of a classic, uh, you know, yeah. big cult following and really really a big hit. But yeah, so the, uh, I guess the director of this is going to be. Uh, well, he, he's going to, Nick Pizzolatto is going to direct alongside Jeremy Soliner, or mm-hmm. uh, Soliner, uh, yeah. director of Green Room. So yeah, what do you what do you think about this? I'm really excited about that director pa- pairing, because as you said, he did Green Room. He also did this movie called Blue Ruin uh, that came out like five or six years ago, which people okay. should check out, really under the radar. But this director really knows how to build tension extremely well. I think he knows how to do a lot with a little mm-hmm. and really makes locations feel kind of very atmospheric and isolated. And I think in that setting of the Ozark, he's just really going to shine through. And I think when you just combine, you know, a couple of factors why I think this is going to be really good. It's, you know, the lead, as you said, I'm not going to pronounce his name because you <laughs> it's Mahershala it. Ali. <laughs> right. I, 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 we botched that enough on this podcast. <laughs> right, right. I'm not going like, to go down that path. But um, and then you have, you know, bringing back the writer who did a lot of, you know, season one, the director that I mentioned. Uh-huh. And I think season two is just such a catastrophe. That I think HBO, they would only green light this if they knew it would be a return to right. form and quality of season one. Like they're gonna <laughs> learn from their mistakes. And I think, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty awesome. And I just we'll be definitely be talking about. Yeah, for sure. I, I hope season three opens with Vince Vaughn wandering through the desert still with a big hole in his stomach. I just hope <laughs> I hope we get that. Yeah. There's like, okay, across the universe there season <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah, yeah. Well sure. apparently, yeah, apparently this is gonna shift across multiple timelines, so I mean, we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes. Uh, you know, time is a flat circle, Ben. 
Absolutely. So let's move on to a movie. And as you said, yeah, these are kind of touching on some like marketing announcements, buzz that's been building. And this is it. Yes. Which we've talked about before. We did that in our episode about our 10 most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And the time is upon us. It's coming out. We're recording this a week before it'll be released. Uh I bought my tickets to the Alamo Draft House today. I am excited. A couple of things I want to hit on this this movie real quick. One is the movie length. It's actually nearly two and a half hours, which is very rare for horror movies. When I first saw that, I was like... You know, it's just like um, it, the genre of horror right. usually does like a I see, 90 minute, you know, 100 minute format. Yeah, I see two hours and 15 minutes. So, I mean. Okay, yeah, yeah. maybe not two and a half. Right, right. I mean, yeah, the, the Shining is very long, mm-hmm. you know, Rosemary's Baby, you know, things like that. But um, I was like a little concerned, but the early buzz coming out of this movie is that it's terrifying. It mm-hmm. also has a lot of heart um, between mm-hmm. the kids that are called the losers. I've heard that too, um, yeah. And just a couple crazy, like they're doing a, I'm saying, I'm seeing at the Alamo, um, and they're actually doing a clown only screening. That is. Uh, at the Alamo. Is that where you're is, going to? I've had, I, I'm going to the clown only. Oh no, my I'm God. Not. Benji. Not, I am not. <laughs> I am not going to the clown only. So oh, that would okay. Be okay. Scarier good. than the movie. No, dude. Because you had to dress up like a clown. I yeah. mean, I know, I know nothing about that aesthetic or world or industry. Like I want to steer keep telling, far away from keep that Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. If I show up, it would be amazing to go to that. Anyway, I wanted to point that out. Yeah, I saw that Stephen King, who you know wrote the novel, right, um, said, "quote I was not prepared prepared for how good it really is." That's and, you know, awesome. He's been a lot of his work has been turned into film, and right, uh, you know, he's it's kind of like had mixed results or how he views the that end result. Yeah. So he's really stoked about it. Well, I've seen there's a clip of I was just gonna say really quick the clip of the clown performance uh-huh. um, on YouTube. I think it's like in one of the opening shots, and I just think, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Sars. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's Skarsgård. Um, what is his first name? Bill Skarsgård. He's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. He's what's his name? Skarsgård's son. Oh, um, oh shoot, uh, I can't remember his name. From the, Heat and Saving Private Ryan, and yeah, uh, it's not Alexander it? Skarsgård. It's Stellan Skarsgård. He's in like Thor. Oh, he Skarsgard. plays the Doctor in Thor. He's in Goodwill Hunting. Uh, okay. like, I was thinking of someone else. Yeah, the mathematician in Goodwill Hunting. Um, but yeah, it's it's his son. He looks his face is like perfect for this clown performance. <laughs> yeah, right. Cheekbones are yeah, stellar. Yeah, definitely. It's this one clip. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, just like his like lips are really like saturated, uh-huh. and it just like it, it's like just really creepy. It's one of the best I trailers. Just, that's yeah, come totally. Out in a while. And this is um. And this uh, this clip that I'm referencing, it's like an actual scene from the movie. It's not really a trailer, and, uh-huh. and you just see how he's kind of approached this performance. And there's just certain ticks that it, it kind of reminds me. I mean, an easy comparison is like the Joker from The Dark Knight, but all these uh-huh. little ticks and movements in his eyes and the way he like is speaking. It's just I don't know. It, it seems like a really just uh, terrifying <laughs> yeah. performance that I'm really just excited to see and. I think this show is, I mean, this this movie is going to be uh, a huge hit at the box office. Yeah. As far as R-rated horror movies. Go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and a couple things I wanted to mention about it. Um, you mentioned the length and the Stephen King, Stephen King novel is about a thousand pages. So it's not that shocking oh, yeah. that it's a really long movie. I mean, right. you know, I, I guess there's a lot of content to cover and, you know, a lot of world building and putting yourself into the into the town i guess it takes place in maine i've never read the novel uh no i no. take it you haven't either um i need to take about five years <laughs> yeah i have not 1300 pages uh, right now. i mean it, i do want to read it but man that is it is a uh it's literally like nine inches tall <laughs> yeah, like i've seen yeah. it in bookstores like it's seriously like a cement I haven't gotten around to it, but uh, it's it's directed by Andy Muschietti, who I haven't really heard of, but he directed Mama, which came out a few years ago, which I did oh, yeah. watch, um, and I, I you know I hadn't heard of him at that point, but it was a pretty good uh, scary movie, a lot of a lot of typical tropes and good jumps and things, but uh, it's co-written. I wanted to mention this by Carrie Fukunaga, who who's uh, oh, co- yeah, yeah. co-writing the or co-wrote the screenplay yeah who directed all of true detective season one uh, he also did like beast of no nation and seen nombre uh but yeah that's interesting that a nice tie to true detective here and apparently uh the movie is extremely graphic uh it's definitely yeah, a heavily kid violence yeah heavily r-rated don't bring your kids uh 
And yeah. yeah, apparently that's how the book is. So I'm glad that they they kept that not um, holding back. It's yeah, all, it's a hard R, right? As people like to say, right? And um, you know, I mentioned the kids. Uh, that it's just the buzz is saying like they have really great chemistry. Uh-huh. They're very likable and charismatic, uh-huh. and it kind of reminds me of Stranger Things. Well, it leads right which into leads it. Leads us into our yeah wow Finn crazy Wolfhard. how we set it up there. Finn right, Wol- right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Finn Wolfhard is in both. Oh yeah, shout out to great name Finn. Yeah, Wolfhard. he plays Mike in Stranger Things. So Stranger Things, we're going to be talking about this a lot. You know, next month. I know it comes out at the end of October, but we did want to hit on yeah some of the trailers and buzz and cool marketing that they've been doing yeah um one thing that's really stood out to me i don't know if you've seen these rob but um they're releasing these posters that are like parodying classic movies from like the 70s and 80s like alien for example oh yeah yeah it's like totally you know everything from the typography to Mm -hmm. the type of tagline to the Mm -hmm. imagery it's it's you know again just tying really back to that nostalgia they did one for stand by me nightmare on elm street Uh you can like see the creases in the poster which is like a nice touch well it's cool because Um, those are clearly influence on the influences on the first season and i'm sure the second season so it's cool that they like play uh, pay homage to it and i mean i I wish more things would do things like that i mean it's it's one of the the best marketed tv shows or movies that i've seen oh yeah that super bowl spot was awesome yeah it reminded me of seeing you know that independence day right uh, right. spot in 1996 or whatever yeah like event i mean it's a show you know like you forget that it's it's a show but it's, it's being marketed as a film event an event yeah and it's uh, the the two minute or so uh, trailer that features uh, the remixed version of Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is mm-hmm. like unbelievable. I mean, that's one of the great pop songs ever written, and yeah, yeah. and just such a cool cool song and so iconic, especially around Halloween. And just to see it like remixed in this way and set to a trailer, the the it just increases the buzz and. Uh, gets you so hyped for season one or for season two. And I actually went back and watched a few episodes of season one just because it had been a while. Like I kind of binge watched the first season um, and I rewatched a few episodes when my mom and sister were watching it. But I wanted to go back and sort of soak in a few episodes and get back into that world. And yeah, it's yeah. I'm excited for season two. It's definitely going to be a fun watch. I'm definitely going to yeah rewatch probably the whole season before this yeah. starts again. And you're just really... The marketing machine for this show is gonna go to eleven. Like if <laughs> you, sure. I hope you like Stranger Things because you're gonna see it everywhere on the internet, definitely, and probably on TV like over the next six weeks. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out, uh, we did when we were before we public, you know, started releasing episodes of this podcast. One of our first test pods last summer <laughs> was about season one. Yeah. Hasn't seen the light of day. We may have to release that. We for should the people next month. That's a good as, idea. Like. Because it wasn't bad, you know? I mean, yeah. I remember not being embarrassed by it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we did cover all of season one in a test podcast yeah. format. That's a good call. Uh, I, I kind of so. forgot about that. Right, right, for sure. But yeah, season two, uh, it's the Duffer brothers are back. Matt and Ross Duffer, who created and wrote the first season, are back for nine episodes this time. Season one was eight episodes. Uh, it comes out, it drops, you know, the full Netflix drop on October 27th. So mm. perfect for a Halloween week binge totally so let's transition over to some music and some new albums that yeah. we've uh, been checking out you take the lead the on this week <laughs> totally totally yeah so first one is the new album by lcd sound system american dream which just came out yeah uh it's their first one since 2010 crazy uh, yeah lcd i'm not a gigantic fan of i definitely like a lot of their tracks um you know some more than others yeah one thing that really stands out to me about their sound is the production of James Murphy, who, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is music that's really meant for like the best speakers and the highest quality headphones. For sure. And he's very, he's, it's well documented that he's, he's a bit of a control freak. Um, he's got a very strong personality. He's a polarizing figure. I've been reading this book, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is like this massive oral history of rock music in New York City from 2001 to 2011. He's featured oh, that throughout. That sounds awesome. Yeah, totally. I'm almost done with it. It's taken me, it's half the length of it, but it's nice. taken me like <laughs> two two to three months to read. I'm almost done. And that's something that yeah, we can talk about on a further pod. But yeah, um, you know, this album, American Dream, you know, these are kind of just our first takes because we've only, you know, been listening to it for, you know, a few days here. But yeah, I've given it's it a, dan- a couple listens. 
Totally. It's, it's dancey as always. It has really mm-hmm. interesting soundscapes. I mean, James Murphy, it's clear he's an extremely talented producer. For sure. Um, the songs are very long, uh, which is yeah, something they are. He, he's yeah. like, you know, he does. It's I think the album itself is only like 11 or 12 tracks the most. Yeah, but I was going to say song, 10 or 11. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, but each song is like five or six minutes. So I really like the opening track. Oh, baby. Uh, yeah. Me the melody too. and chord progression. It's probably uh-huh. my favorite. track tonight is another one that stands out to me i think it has really funny lyrics about the lyrics yeah i listened to that last night i happened to be just listening to the album last night in bed just sort of lying around looking at my phone (laughs) and listening to it and that song when it came on i was at first i was just sort of listening to it in the background but then as the lyrics started to come through like it's very funny yeah it's uh it's topical yeah he, um, yeah, the lyric, like the opening lyrics are like, everybody's singing the same song. It goes two night, two night, tonight. And I thought it was just like very, I've always thought this is like pop music, like pop mm-hmm. artists, they're obsessed in their lyrics with using like the phrase like, tonight uh-huh. is like, you know, like just to create this sense of urgency and like, <laughs> right. it all goes down tonight, you know, yeah. like it's all just like, and he's, he's really like just pointing that out. And I, I don't know, it's something I've always thought about pop music and uh-huh. I just have never heard someone else like bring up in a song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm digging this album. Me it, too. it seems to be pretty well received. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be listening to it a lot over the next few weeks. It seems like there are some really big, uh, big, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, a very uh, helpful descriptive adjective there, but it's just, it, it's a big uh, sound, like it, it should totally. be performed in a stadium, you know, and you, oh, you mentioned like the, the sound quality, it just, it seems like this album was made for, uh, with a tour in mind and, uh, you know, with yeah. some big, well, they're, big yeah, they're going uh, on settings. Tour. Oh, nice. I think they're on a tour now, or they did a bunch of shows in Brooklyn like a few uh-huh. months ago, and they're doing, I think, like a North American tour coming up. But yeah, he's, cool. James Murphy, he's the, uh, he's just obsessed with like pristine sound and making uh-huh. sure things are like the highest quality. So nice. um, yeah, let's move on to another album uh, that we've been checking out, and uh-huh. it's, a, it's a rock band called The War on Drugs. The album's called A Deeper Understanding, and this album I had been hearing, you know, it's been getting a lot of top 10 album of the year buzz. Really? And, um, you know, I my kind of initial initial impressions of it um, are that it it is like similar to LCD Sound System, that it is an album that you could tell, you know, the band spent a lot of time crafting these songs and the production is, again, kind of compared to LCD is very pristine mm-hmm. and it's very, you know, well arranged music it's very cohesive. Sure. Yeah. It's agreeable. Um, and, it, you know, Bruce Springsteen is kind of an obvious influence oh, when, yeah. you're, when you're listening to it. I was going to um, say that. Yeah. And again, I like the the opening track a lot, Up All Night, the way it's built mm-hmm. and kind of the piano and guitar and that how that all weaves together. It's just like very agreeable music. Yeah. It's, I, I, I put down like dad rock vibes. Like totally. It seems like, uh, an album that like dads across totally. the nation would be into. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, I'm digging it. Um, I got to give it a few more spins, but, um, yeah, yeah, I just kind of wanted to point that one out. And it's, yeah. I think, one that you'll be seeing on a lot of critics' top 10 lists. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's a, a bit repetitive for me and, I don't know if it's melancholy is the right word or sort yeah, of, it has you a, know, it's called a deeper understanding is the album title, but I, I was left sort of hoping for a, a bigger, a, a bigger message or a, yeah, a deeper understanding of the album itself. Um, mm-hmm. The lead singer, do you know the lead singer's name? I, um, uh, yeah, it slipped my mind. I don't have it. Yeah, it slipped he does my mind a lot too. of the, the songwriting and he's okay. like on the album cover. It's just him. Okay. So yeah. I right. Sitting that, at the uh, piano. Yeah, right, right. Um, um, he sounds like a kind of mix between Tom Petty and and Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, du- Tom Petty's a good comparison. Yeah, and it's like he, I, I can't tell if it's on purpose or if that's just his natural voice and the way he's doing it. I'm I'm sure there those are two influences on him, but I couldn't get past that. Like I've never really listened to them before, and I just couldn't get past his voice and how it sounded like other people. But mm-hmm. maybe that's a that's kind of a stupid criticism, but. Anyway. No, I mean, yeah, those are good singers, obviously. You know, yeah, to compare right. To, but yeah, the Tom Petty that 
That is true. I was trying to put my finger on like Springsteen. It's obvious, but uh-huh. Tom Petty. It's definitely uh, clear that he's influenced by him as well. The second uh, track, "Pain," was my favorite upon the first listen. By the way, nice, anyway, nice. yeah. So, um, one other album we wanted to quickly discuss is this album from the band Brand New yeah. called Science Fiction, and. This is their first in eight years, and I grew up listening to Brand New in high school. Oh yeah, during you know the emo boom, Wine by the and Glass, they're, <laughs> right, right. And they're a band that's really sustained through that era. I I always felt like they just took their music much more seriously than like their peers, and I think that's not a surprise that you're seeing them like you know being able to put out an album that's generated a lot of kind of excitement. They still have a fan base, people yeah, are excited. And this album, it's one of my favorites of the year, I would Me say. Me too. So far. This got, is really like, good. Yeah, like really great guitar work. The lyrics, um, their frontman, Jesse Lacey, has always just had a really great way with words. It's very consistent. It's clear, like in the sound, that they just clearly don't give a crap about any like current music trends. Yeah. And, like they just, they just made the record like exactly the way they wanted. And mm-hmm. like they don't care about, you know, it's refreshing to hear like they're not concerned with any these like trends in pop or rock music right now um it's just like cool damn rock and roll you know i don't know i just it's 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 really like it has kind of a 90s alternative vibe yeah Um, a little like space funk pop uh you know it's called science fiction and it starts out with a little like trippy uh female or woman talking about her dreams and like there's some some space influences and you know things that we're both into i'm sure uh mm-hmm. it's it the first listen it, i was like a little taken by how uh dark and bleak and i don't oh, want to say yeah i don't want to say like it was sad or melancholy but it, it it does have that vibe and but listening to it more and more it it's growing on me and i'm i'm really enjoying it and songs are you know taking me by surprise and uh it's definitely uh an album that you can listen to in full and and not want to skip tracks and mm-hmm. uh it's it's definitely a cohesive sound yeah the verse the song waste which i think is like the third track uh-huh. the verses remind me of the song zombie by the cranberries oh um, nice yeah i just wanted to point that out Yeah, I I really like that track. Uh, yeah. the song out out of uh, mana, out of mana. Uh-huh. Uh, it has like a very '90s alternative feel, and just like it seems like they just had a lot of fun with like the guitars on this album, like different sure. effects, and it's just like a very guitar focused, and it's just nice. Yeah, like I think ultimately, like it's just they made the album they wanted to make after eight years, and yeah, it's just they're not concerned with you know these uh, anything else that's happening you know in like the music like trend landscape so i'm yeah. um, really really digging brand new science fiction i liked the uh can't get it out the second track uh, right before yeah, waste yeah. and he's like mm-hmm. he's talking about how he has positive things to say he just can't figure out how to get it out and it was like i, I was <laughs> i was struck by that it's kind of a, a, <laughs> right. a thing that you I live can, by that <laughs> <laughs> i can sympathize <laughs> right right so um one other music bit we wanted to touch on in this podcast was a live concert experience that i had right after our last episode i believe uh about dunkirk right ended same with, night I'm going to see yeah our boy kendrick lamar on the damn tour so the best rapper on the barclays alive. center oh yeah he <laughs> is the best rapper alive for sure and if you've listened to our episode dissecting damn you know how much of a kendrick freak i am and i don't want to hijack the podcast and go on and on about just like you know uh going nuts over Kendrick, but I do yeah. want to touch on my experience of seeing him. It was actually we, my fourth... We've heard that before. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, and then, yeah, next thing you know, 45 minutes, I'm like, man, <laughs> yeah. his sound and his flow is crazy. So it was actually my fourth time seeing him perform, but my first since his Good Kid Mad City days, so it wow. been a few years. Wow, I didn't know that. And um, it was it was his best performance that I've seen. You know, he's definitely become a much more seasoned, polished performer. His stage uh-huh. presence, the set list was awesome. He played for at least ninety minutes. Pretty Looks much like every a... song off. Damn, nice, bigger stage, and bigger. Totally. More production. Oh yeah, it was his. It was his first like arena, like stadium tour. Uh-huh. And I gotta say, like him as a performer. I mean, it, it, like I said, it was the best that I've seen him. He's gotten a lot better. I can't help but compare him to Kanye when it comes to like if you see any stadium rap show and you've seen Kanye West like live, mm-hmm. you can't help but compare that because like he 
Kanye, and we need to do a four-hour Kanye pod at some point, but um, <laughs> he kind of invented stadium arena rap, and so any performance yeah. that I see in that setting, I can't help but compare, and uh-huh. it just, it pales in comparison. Like, like in, in almost every level, Kanye is, like, just in a league of his own when it comes to the stadium rap show. Yeah. The and just the hype of it. Like you just oh, feel, right. yeah. you feel him on stage and it, yeah. I remember when we saw the, uh, graduation tour or the glow yeah, in the yeah. dark tour. And I was like, man, I feel like I'm watching Michael Jackson on stage. I know. Like, obviously turn to me and say, that. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> dance like that, obviously, but just <laughs> like the, the feeling in the crowd and everybody completely shouting the lyrics, you know? And mm, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. so fun. One other thing, yeah, I wanted to point out about the shows. Um, so one of the things I love about Kendrick, and I pointed this out during our album dissection mm-hmm. episode of Damn, is that mm-hmm. you know his variety of flows and tones, and the way he's able to switch gears on record and sound completely different yeah. from you know one side of him to another. Live, it's pretty much impossible to replicate that. I'm not I was going to hold say it against that. them. It, uh-huh. It's impo- like it's impossible, and you know they use some studio trickery, and obviously right. in the studio it's in a completely different setting than live. Right, and so we kind of in a live setting really only has like two gears or two or three kind of like levels of how he sounds on the mic. Okay. Um, so that is something that like, I love, I mean, Kendrick's like one of my favorite artists and I would say I I prefer him on record as opposed to live because Uh he's not able to really replicate what makes him so special on record live. Yeah. It was still a great time. Um, Travis Scott opened and I really realized that people freaking young people love Travis Scott. There were times where it was more the crowd was more hyped for him than Kendrick. He came out Oof. during a song, yeah, which is travesty. But um, two, another reminder that I don't understand young people. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well said, well said. Um, but anyway, it was uh, it was still like a really good time. Um, we had good seats. The cellist was awesome. So nice. uh, yeah, just wanted to kind of point out uh, some some quick takes on yeah, man. Um, my Kendrick live experience. I'm I'm slacking on my Kendrick uh, experiences. I have not seen him in concert yet, oh, so yeah. I definitely need get, to get, get on get that. On that. Yeah. So we wanted to switch gears to a another live experience that you had. Yeah, just the in other the night. Movie realm. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob, do you want to give our listeners uh, a little context? Wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to do it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the other night I saw 2001: A Space Odyssey in uh, at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. And so obviously this is the Stanley Kubrick masterpiece and the Arrow Theater is this uh, well-known in the area theater that plays a lot of uh, old uh, film prints that they get their hands on and it's sort of an art house, uh, you know, one one theater place and uh, so they got their hands on this 70 millimeter film uh, print of 2001 so my buddy Colin wanted, you know, invited me to come so I, I went up for it and it was just a really cool experience to see, obviously, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, you know, probably one of my favorite directors or yeah. my favorite. And this is masterpiece. This is such an... Or one of, one yeah, of, one of his three or four one masterpieces, of, I would say. Yeah, one of, for sure. Uh, and just it, such an iconic science fiction story. And, yeah. you know, the, the character of Hal has been you know, so, so often, uh, referenced and yeah, just just, so ahead of its time, that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It had influenced like a whole, a whole generation of movies and and sort of like, uh, consciousness about what space, uh, you know, should look like and totally how it should feel. And, uh, it was just really cool to see it on film, obviously different than watching it. I've only watched it on Blu-ray at my house, you know, with you a couple times (laughs) in college and, uh, Yeah, it's just it was really cool to be in a room full of people that were excited to be there and you know, oh. it was a packed house. I'm sure the film it, nerd unite of oh yeah, all those people very there heavy. was just like oh <laughs> yeah. man, I could just how many like, you know, black rimmed glasses? You know? <laughs> so, so many. Uh, but I love those are our people, you know. Yeah, so, man, totally. Awesome. And the conversation before the movie was interesting to listen to and just, you know, people talking around me, just doing like mu- movie trivia and things like that and just a bunch of nerds. Um, totally. But it was cool to see like how people interacted with the film in person and just seeing like uh, the sort of black comedy of the whole Hal character and, you know, some of the laughs and and I, I was struck by how this really wasn't like I don't think the film was intended to be a pleasurable experience to watch. Like it's it's almost brutal at times. Like the sound is so intense and 
you know, on the moon when they're looking or Clavius <laughs> when they're looking right. at um, the monolith on the moon that's been buried. There's that extremely loud alarm that goes off when, oh, yeah. you know, when they're looking at it. That's like brutal in, in the theater. It was so loud. The storyline makes zero sense the first time you see it. Right. Like I had to read like an explainer. I mean, it's only after a few times you watch it. I mean, the narrative is so nonlinear. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's it, yeah. It's one of the best movies, most important movies ever made for sure. I think I I made the statement to you at like three in the morning, junior year of college, where I was just like, <laughs> this might be the best movie ever made. Yeah, <laughs> like, I remember you saying I, that. Said, yeah. <laughs> and when funny. you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might, you know, we're okay, just like, <laughs> next right, thought. Right, 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 right. Um, the, Let's have the, this 19th drink and <laughs> yeah. uh, Nutty Bar, anybody? Uh, right, um, right. <laughs> sorry, sorry getting, getting very, getting very uh, personal here. All right. Um, uh, yeah. um, well, I was going to say a couple more thoughts real quick. Um, yeah, yeah. The Howl uh, camera eye, like the the iconic image of Howl. I was just mm. struck by like on screen when it's just that for like 20 seconds. There is so much life in that that light, like the mm. The camera eye itself, like it, it looks like the universe kind of. And yeah. I was just thinking, like, how long did it take for them to to finalize and, uh, you know, come to a place where they were happy with the look of how because that's so critical to the movie. And uh, yeah, it was it was really cool to see on film. Nice. Yeah. When you you mentioned that you were going to experience this, it reminded me of when uh, I saw the Ruby Blood a few years ago. Yeah. In 70 millimeter with. You didn't, did 2001 have a live score? No, it didn't. It? Okay, it didn't. so that was, yeah, the one one thing I had a leg up on you. With mine, it was <laughs> a live score conducted by none other than Johnny Greenwood. Oh, uh, that's freak. awesome. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, I mean, it had to have been the best, like, movie viewing experience of my life. Yeah, that's um, really cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, seeing, like, old films like that in the 70 millimeter format if you really you know care about cinema it's always a special experience so i'm glad you were able to uh yeah me too to have that one well they're playing the shining later this month so i may be uh, oh, going up there gotta again get some, for that. yeah yeah halloween vibes for that yeah. as well i might fly out for that <laughs> you're um, invited so <laughs> so um we are going to move back into kind of the tv realm yeah. and a documentary series that i guess it was more of a you know I don't know, I wouldn't call it a TV show, but it was on HBO. It yeah. was four parts, and this is The Defiant Ones, yeah. which is basically about the careers of uh, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Uh-huh. Um, and just kind of, chron- I mean, the two of them have had such insane careers. Like, I oh, mean, yeah. Dre's career, for example, like it's it's NWA, it's The Chronic, it's 2001, you know, the, uh, the solo albums that he did. It's Discovering right. Snoop Dogg and Eminem and 50 Cent and Kendrick right. and Beats by Dre. And it's really just about, I mean, a lot about like the music, gener- uh, music industry as a whole mm-hmm. throughout the 80s and 90s. You know, just, it's this, you know. And 70s, really, ones. with Jimmy Iovine. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he worked with so, I mean, whether it's like Bruce Springsteen or Bono, yeah. um, you know, Tom Petty, no doubt. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, it, he was an engineer and like a producer and then got more on the A&R side of things yeah. and, and became more of like a business marketing person. Right. And it's really just like a motivating like piece of work, really well executed. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they use like archive footage and splice it together, it seems like it, I mean, the amount of hours spent in the editing room to put this together seems yeah. like it's quite a feat. Um, was it? I really it, liked it, yeah. Did Jimmy Iovine start with, uh, was it Paul McCartney's solo album? Or or uh, John Lennon, I think John Lennon. Yeah, he worked. He worked yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, so he was like this young, uh, you know, like twenty two or something, and he was trying to make his way in music production, just kind of find his way, and then he gets uh, called in. I guess it was like on Easter or some holiday or whatever, and oh yeah, uh, yeah it was it was sure. John Lennon uh, wanted to do a song or something. So yeah, and just watching, I was struck by Jimmy Iovine's. Uh, early career and just his uh i didn't really know a lot of his background story and you know i kind of knew him honestly as like this this sort of rap producer who he, he is now and and more modern stuff like uh you know gwen stefani and no doubt and eminem and things like that but uh i, I was struck by his early career and just the his work ethic and uh you know just seeing that all put together in, into this format was really cool and and how obviously it ties in with uh, Dr. Dre and NWA like early days of uh, you know gangster rap music and how Jimmy Iovine was so pivotal in in 
yeah. you know, creating instrumental player. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the the biggest takeaway from this series for me was honestly the 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 sound mixing mm. and the the audio production was so well done. And obviously, you know, it's Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. I'm sure they wouldn't you yeah, know put their yeah they wouldn't put their <laughs> names on a series with crappy production. But uh, it was awesome. Like I have uh, you know surround sound in my apartment, and I was. I was blasting it, and it was really awesome to to hear and, yeah. and see. Yeah, I mean, I said, yeah, some sequences. One that really sh- uh, struck out to me was, like, involved, like, Marilyn Manson. I think it's yeah. in episode three or four. Uh-huh. And just, and like, nine the inch chaos nails. surrounding him and Nine Inch Nails. And it was, like, this, like, two-minute just, like, montage that was, like, mind-blowing to, like, yeah. see and, and just, like, put together. And, and that's, like, our – that was, like, our elementary school days. And, you know, I was into, like, <laughs> Rob Zombie and Nine Inch Nails. I don't know if you were, but I was for I was at, not. at a time. I yeah. Was, yeah. You're a big man. You dressed up as Marilyn Manson. And I had the cassettes, and yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, But, uh, yeah, no, really, really dug it. Uh, super just moves along, really strong pace. If you're interested in, you know, um, kind of, like – legendary music over the last few decades and especially like the, the you know the more the business side of things yeah i definitely recommend it yeah um, this came out a while so. ago but it we haven't had a chance to talk about it and it's you know four hours and it's a quick watch i watched it in two sittings on consecutive nights and uh really loved nice. it it'll, it'll go by quickly and the only thing is i wanted more eminem stuff but that's maybe yeah. just my selfishness uh well yeah because we really grew up on eminem right <laughs> you know right. And, and yeah it's exciting when he's on screen uh-huh. and talking about how he was discovered and oh man we could do i will we'll do an m&m pod at some point sure it was it was yeah it was awesome to see him featured as well yeah so one other hbo show we wanted to touch on is something that i've been checking out yeah with my girl i know you haven't had a chance to check out any episodes but no i haven't it's hbo's insecure and what i really like about the show so it's an awesome performance by the lead actress lead actress um mm-hmm. Issa Rae. It's very mm-hmm. like a multi-layered performance. Um, she just really captures a lot of different emotions and it's just really, um, I don't know, really powerful performance. And it's nice. a very like LA it's show. It's very LA based. Yeah, I've heard. Beautiful to look at. Uh-huh. It makes you want to live there definitely. And there's just like really strong um, music placements throughout. I mean, I, nice. I noticed like like the op- the pilot episode opens with Kendrick's All Right. And I'm like, okay, oh, really? I'm, I'm into this. Nice. Um, it has like, you know, tracks from like Frank Ocean, a lot of like undiscovered rap and R&B. I, I want to say like I've Shazammed this show like nice. eight times. Yeah. You know, where there's That's something else going like, what is this? And I Shazam it and then I like add it to Spotify. And That's stuff. cool. So, um, 30-minute episodes. It's like, you know, comedy, drama, takes place in modern day in LA. Kind of just like from the perspective of like, a 20 something like black woman, like trying to navigate her way through, you know, LA and just yeah. kind of her perspective and things like that. I really that. want to watch it. Um, it's, yeah, it's funny. It's authentic. And yeah, it's a good watch with like your significant other. Sure. I think, you know, I think Natalie would dig it as well. But uh, no, yeah, yeah we've been meaning to. to. Some love. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I've been meaning to watch it. Uh, we just haven't gotten to it. You know, there's so much as we're. As we're discussing, there's just one of those shows that sort of slipped through the cracks for me, but I will eventually, yeah, I will eventually get to it. So So, why don't we move along to something we're both really excited about and (laughs) kind of caught us off guard, maybe kind of caught the American public off guard, uh, (laughs) is the series uh, Ozark, which is a 10-part series on Netflix, Um, came out a few weeks ago, but... Yeah, I feel like ev- this has been the the binge watch uh, watchable the show. Yeah, yeah, I just feel like uh, everybody has has an opinion on it. That's seen it. Um, like, I don't want to say why is this show good or is this show good. Like, obviously, it's. A, it's I think very, it's a bad. I think it's it's like the best bad show of the yeah. Year. I don't yeah, know. Like, I remember you said that. Yeah, <laughs> like how did it become so popular? It's like. I don't want to give people the wrong impression that it's a <laughs> bad show. It's just like fluff, sort of, and it's yeah. It plays on all these tropes it's not of the most like original, yeah, like cookie yeah, like cutter. It kind of roll your eyes. Yeah, it reminds me characters a little bit. Sorry, we're, we're talking over each other, but uh, <laughs> it, it, we're we're excited about the show. Obviously, um, it it reminded me of like uh, network shows from like the you know early two thousands or things where it has like a, a clear arc per episode and it ends on cliffhangers and it you know so it's different in that way uh from some other netflix shows that are sort of like standalone episodes and things like that but uh yeah it's just 
extremely watchable and entertaining. And, uh, you know, the two stars, Jason Bateman and Laura Lenny, uh, play Marty and Wendy Bird. They're just really compelling and great actors. Uh, a few other, Julia Gardner as Ruth Langmore, I thought was a standout in the cast. And, uh, yeah, what are, what are some things you're thinking about it? Well, one thing I realized that I put down, uh, as the the main actor, I put Patrick Bateman instead of Jason. Oh, <laughs> nice. Hey man, we're, we rep American Psycho hard. Um, My mask of sanity is beginning to slip. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I do like Jason Bateman. I don't know. He's just like very watchable on screen, and it's like this is just kind of like escapist television, and like it's perfect for kind of like the late summer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just things that are like just kind of goo- like the opening credits of like the visuals, like the children's callings. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just kind of like the big it's goofy. O. It's like, yeah, right. It's goofy, just but by like the that. end, I was like, oh man, oh, right. there's eyeballs in a jar. And <laughs> right, right. What does it all mean? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of kind of like, you know, Breaking Bad, like from a story perspective. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Kind of like, you know, a little more, it's not as like, you know, innovative as Breaking Bad and like, doesn't have like that just like electric shock that you know no, Breaking Bad really. But it's runs in that same it, realm of like American yeah, crime, too, crime yeah. with drugs and you know Mexican yeah. cartels and those types of uh, I, yeah. types of things. I like the setting. It's just sometimes it's just good to see a show that isn't like shot in like L.A. or New York, you know, and things yeah. like it's in like you know Missouri and it's in the woods and the water and it's uh-huh. like it's shot in, like a very like dark color tone and oh the blue like, the blue yeah, filter the, oh, I couldn't get over blues. it at first I was like oh man I'm so out on this just because the blue filter <laughs> but I you know I got it. I got over it yeah turn up like the brightness on my screen <laughs> yeah like, make out who who's on you know <laughs> it's just like, yeah good thing I'm glad you yeah you caught the blue filter as well but uh how could you not <laughs> yeah I'm actually I've seen about six out I need to finish it I okay. I came out came out of the gate strong with this one but I kinda, yeah. Uh, well, he fizzled to, to keep up with it but i i do want to finish it and it got renewed for a second season it did so uh ozark will be will be back and um yeah. one other netflix show we wanted to uh touch on is glow which you yeah. said you you loved and came out i think more in the beginning of the summer but yeah june 23rd was a big show um and yeah what were your what were your uh your takes on this show sure so this is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling glow um from the 80s it's a true story or sort of based on around a factual story uh factual events um 10 episode series on netflix 30 minute episodes um and it's again just like ozark is locked for a season two already it stars allison brie uh, Betty Gilpin, uh, Mark Marin. Allison Brie is from uh, Mad Men. You probably yeah. remember her from Mad Men. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Marin, obviously the big podcast, uh, you know, legend. Phenomenon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's awesome in this show. He plays. Sort yeah, of I liked like, him a lot in this. Yeah, the male lead. Oh, did you watch all of it? Uh, I've seen about like three episodes. I do want to okay. say, like, I know, yeah, a lot of people love this show, you included. I. Yeah. It just like wasn't a world that I wanted to spend a lot of time in. It kind of reminded me okay. like, Orange is the New Black in that sense. Is like uh, I don't know, just something about it didn't really want to sure. make me keep watching. So I, I actually mean, yeah, it was well done. I just like it just wasn't for me. I, I don't know. I like the performances and well, I'm glad but. you said that because I, I actually felt the exact opposite. I was instantly sort of into the story and into yeah. the world. Not, and I'm not a big wrestling guy. I'm not. <laughs> Not really. I don't watch it on TV. Yeah, but I was just, it's funny. There's a lot of heart to this show. There's drama, Uh, you know, a lot of comedy. Uh, Chris Lowell, who plays, or Lowell, who plays Bash, who uh, sort of like the producer of The Glow. I don't know if you have even met him if you've only seen the first three, but he he was really funny and probably my favorite part of the first season. But yeah, it's a cool show. I mean, it's worth checking out. If if you're not struck by it if, after a few episodes, maybe it's not for you, but I really liked it. And, and it hits home at the, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it hits hard at the end. Um, you know, it, it, there's some good payoff at the end and a few surprises. So yeah, it's a cool series that I'll definitely watch the second season. Nice. So, one other Netflix property that we wanted to touch on, and this is one that isn't out yet, coming, being released in October, is Mindhunter. And I yeah. feel like this show, it's flying under the radar a bit. It's this new Netflix series, which follows an FBI agent as he kind of tracks down serial killers and yeah. kind of in interviews the 60s, them. I think. Tries to 50s, like, yeah, 60s. Tries to like really like get inside uh, their mindset in order to help mm-hmm. kind of understand them and do his job better. And it just has heavy zodiac vibes which is one of my favorite films and, and yeah. you know is a uh 
Fincher, David Fincher, who directed that movie, is executive producer. The trailer, like Silence of the Lambs, is like you know something that obviously comes comes to mind. You know, there's a lot more like me. Do you think so? Forty years ago, your FBI was founded hunting down John Dillinger. Now, we have extreme violence between strangers. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. You know, Rob, I, I own a book called 501 Most Notorious Crimes, so mm. this is extremely up my alley. I mean, yeah, it is. Know, that's, I've always been fascinated by serial killers and, like, pop culture. Yeah, and me too. And the latest trailer, which came out a while ago, but it's, it's the most recent one. It has, like, this really one, like, creepy, dissonant violin in the background. It's just, like, very unsettling, yeah. and it's... This is during, like, I think, like you said, the 60s, where there's kind of this boom of serial killers, as the mm-hmm. trailer points out. You know, well, the FBI... They sort, of created, they sort of created the term serial killer, at least in yeah, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it went from, like, John Dillinger types, like crime, like mob boss, to, like, uh-huh. people like Charles Manson, who were just, like, psycho killers, right, you know? Right. And, the psychological um, killers. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just... I'm, I think this is a show I'm going to, like, just binge if i can and it's coming in october <laughs> around uh-huh. halloween time october just, 13th actually friday I'm, yeah oh friday the 13th. friday the 13th yes i am i am very excited for mindhunter nice yeah me too david fincher directed three episodes uh, i believe it's a 10 episode series uh, i'm sure they're all hour long but uh, apparently it's already locked for a season two so <laughs> Wow. Without any reaction, uh, you know, it hasn't been released yet, but uh, apparently the executives over know. at Netflix yeah. are digging it, um, and they they gave it a second season. It's created by Joe Penhall, and you said executive produced by David Fincher, who directed a few episodes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely looks really cool. Uh, trailer's great. Uh, watch that. It'll get you hyped if you like this sort of story. Uh, I recently watched Zodiac. Uh, mm. Natalie had never seen it, so we mm. watched it together. Such a good movie. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what well, else we can got you to say? Zodiac <laughs> and the films of 2007. We need to do totally. It David. On. Yeah, it's David Fincher's like specialty. Is this uh, the psychological thriller? This. Yeah, he really. Yeah, it's his. That's his lane. So. We're excited for Mindhunter. We'll yeah. be talking about it, I'm sure, when it's out. Um, we wanted to kind of wrap things up with a series of um, some movies. Yeah. Uh, one trailer that I I just wanted to quickly <laughs> touch on because I was just very struck by it. It's for the movie's called The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's pretentious. So I'll give that. <laughs> and it's the uh, the director uh, who made The Lobster from, yeah. I guess, like a year or two ago. Yorgos Lanthimos. Shout out to Yorgos. Um, and the like IMDb boilerplate description of this is it's about a charismatic surgeon who's played by Colin Farrell mm-hmm. is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart mm-hmm. when the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister. I know that's kind of vague, but if you watch the trailer, it's just like super eerie. Yeah. Um, the movie also stars Nicole Kidman. Alicia Silverstone. Oh, is she in it? Yeah, I didn't I didn't her first notice her in the trailer. Bat, but yeah. Since Batman and Robin. <laughs> right. Batgirl. She took a 20-year uh, yeah. hiatus. Took a while to um, recover from that. So one element that we were chatting about before we started recording here is like in the background, there's just like this off this teenage girl like singing off pitch the song Burn by Ellie Goulding, like yeah. acapella. When the lights started out, they don't know what they heard. Strike the match, playing loud, giving love to the world. How did his father die? A surgeon never kills a patient. An anesthesiologist can kill a patient, but a surgeon never can. It's like, how do they even come up with that? But it, it works so well, and it's just so like, haunting. It, yeah, totally. Um, I really don't have too much else to say about this other than I'm struck, <laughs> and it's one of the most intriguing trailers of the year. And you should. It looks watch creepy, it. confusing and when it comes out, yeah, and yeah. strange. Uh, did totally. you see the lobster? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, like also, also creepy, confusing, and strange. <laughs> yeah, that's a special. That's Yorgos's specialty. Yeah. When you have a name like Yorgos, I mean, you're <laughs> movies. I think. So, um, one other mo- uh, movie we wanted to uh, touch on, one that we both saw recently, is Good Time. Yeah. And this is based movie by the Sadfi brothers. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Um, yeah. It's kind of based in the outskirts of New York City, kind of uh-huh. like in 
Queens, Staten yeah, Island. Flushing. Not the, not the New York you usually see. It's not like cool Brooklyn or downtown Manhattan, but it's uh, a cool Brooklyn, this bank right? robber. <laughs> yeah, bank robber call, um, played by Robert Patterson, who's really great in this role. Pattinson. It's kind of Pattinson. Sorry. Patterson, Pattinson. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's chased by his pursuers over the course of kind of like 24 hours after he kind of commits this this robbery with his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I, the first 15 minutes, I thought were really strong and suspenseful. Um, I think overall, I thought I was a little disappointed because I thought going in that I was really going to love it. I, I think there's a key relationship that they establish in the first act that they kind of go away from with the brother. And that kind of made it just overall feel a little less compelling for me. Mm, that's a good point. Um, but it, the lead performance by Pattinson is is amazing. Uh-huh. Um, the brother, by the way, yeah. sorry, real yeah. quick. The brother that you keep mentioning is is Josh or is Benny Benny Safdie, who is the co director. Oh, so, oh yeah, I I heard that they started. I didn't know which role that they were in. Yeah, he um, he plays one of the main main characters. He's really yeah. great. Go ahead. Totally, and the location it felt you know very lived in. It it's cool to capture this side of new york mm-hmm. um i thought the score was a little too busy at times like it didn't need to it was like very synth heavy and just like very there's just like a lot of sonic elements happening at once and i was like yeah. this is the whole thing kind of reminded me of like like a 90s european music video like the way it was yeah. shot like the colors yeah. and everything i don't know it's just something i no that's a good good take make, yeah. yeah uh i mean combine yeah you mentioned the soundtrack combined with the visual elements and uh, they used extreme close-ups a lot, uh, which, oh, yeah. which you know, increases with the subject matter, increases just the the sort of intense experience that you're having throughout. And uh, I, I think I liked it a little more than you. Um, I think they got the title wrong. I think it should have been called <laughs> Anxiety Riddled Time rather sure. than Good Time because I don't know where the good time was. I missed that part. It's an ironic title. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> it was a stressful time. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was fun to watch, like, uh, really, really it well acted. very fast. Yeah. It's I mean, from like- the... From the very first shot, like the uh, the tracking shot into the building, uh, the apartment mm-hmm. building, um, and it reminded me of like Psycho from Hitchcock is like that very first shot just tracking. It kind of just like sucks you in from the very beginning, and then it's like an extreme close-up of Robert Pattinson's face, and yeah. it just goes from there. Like it's, it's extremely fast-paced, especially at the beginning. Um, that first shot reminded me of actually the opening shot in the dark night mm, where it's like yeah, yeah. that pan, like just the type of building that was being shot and sure. like it's bright daylight. Uh-huh. I, I felt like I was like, this has to be referencing that shot. It's like sure. almost identical in a way, but yeah, yeah. obviously in different cities. But anyway, well, yeah. Um, I've always thought Pattinson, Robert Pattinson has been an underrated actor. Uh, and I think this, this role is finally going to get him some mass appreciation. Um, you know, beyond being that guy from Twilight, uh, I think it's yeah. gonna probably earn him an Oscar nomination. Uh, I would cool. not be shocked to see that. Yeah, uh, I could see that. He's, yeah. really, he's really great in it. Yeah. I think I liked it a little more than you. Uh, it's definitely not a feel gooder. Um, it's it's a <laughs> anxiety. You know, it's an intense riddle, watch. <laughs> anxiety real time. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why don't we move quickly to the next movie uh, that I saw, but I you have not yet. had a chance no. to see yet. I'll just do a quick minute on it or so. Uh, sure. It's something we mentioned. I mentioned on a previous podcast. Uh, Wind River, uh, directed by directed and written by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Sicario and Hell or High Water the past two years, which have been two of my favorite movies of the past couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, this this stars Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, takes place on the Wind River Indian Reservation in uh, a state that I it's in can't the remember. Right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. I think it's Wyoming actually. Uh, but anyway, it's it's cold, it's bleak, uh, snowy. Uh, it's a murder mystery. Uh, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen really stood out to me. I think it's Jeremy Renner's best performance since The Hurt Locker, mm. uh, probably Olsen's best performance ever. It's dark, scary, sad, uh, extremely sad, uh, pretty melancholy. Sounds like a good uh, time as well. <laughs> yeah, it's gruesome subject matter, but it's a really well-made movie and a, a story and a subject matter. You know, Native Americans on you know in this country are sort of a forgotten at times subject matter and it's a really cool story um 
I, I put it as my third favorite out of those three movies, but Sicario is one of my favorite movies of the past decade. Uh, mm-hmm. Hell or High Water was in my top five last year. So that's not saying that it's a bad movie, but uh, it was probably my my third favorite out of these three written by Taylor Sheridan, but definitely mm-hmm. worth checking out. Really solid movie. Nice. Um, so Final why don't we move quickly? Yeah, quickly. Sprints. We're Yeah, we're doing great here. Right. Um, Logan Lucky, uh, which came out a couple weeks, maybe three weeks ago, Ben. Um, why don't you start off with like sort of the, the marketing Setting strategy behind this movie? Yeah. So yeah, this was making headlines before it came out and that the director, Steven Soderbergh, who's been around for the last two decades. He's made movies like Ocean's Eleven and Traffic and Aaron Brockovich and uh-huh. Out of Sight and really prolific director. Um, he wanted complete creative control of this film. So in order to do that, he basically raised the money himself to make the film, which is about $29 million, sold off the overseas di- distribution rights. Hmm. And then he not only just wanted creative control of just like the film itself, but also all the marketing and advertising. So he raised an additional $20 million in marketing money hmm. by selling off a portion of the film's non-theatrical rights, uh, partnered with this startup called Bleecker Street Media for them to do all the marketing, and really just wanted to approach... Like they, I think the release schedule of when like the trailers were pushed out, it was like in much more later stages than like a traditional studio would do. Um, he did like a kind of like a blitz of uh, of all the marketing, like those final few weeks, um, and also did like billboards out in like the Midwest because the film itself takes place in the South on a NASCAR, you know, uh, race atmosphere, and right. didn't really have billboards in in cities like L.A. and New York, which are more traditional. Uh, you know, used to seeing. And so like all the financial interests were aligned when he made this movie mm-hmm. and you just kind of sidestepped all the major studios and it kind of, yeah, it just caught attention of like, oh, if this works and is a success, like why doesn't every kind of like auteur director do this going forward? And the movie got really strong reviews. It was in like the 90%, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, it came out and like just bombed like it, it didn't do that well eight, yeah eight, eight million and it's eight opening million. weekend yeah uh finished third and um you know i haven't seen this yet like it, it is something i do want it, it just like the movie itself didn't seem like one i had to like rush to theater it wasn't like oh you know dunkirk right or like it or you know uh you know some of these movies that you feel like you kind of want really want to see opening weekend in the theater like i will see this but it'll probably be on like demand later or sure. you know, like a rental. Yeah. But, I was, uh, you did see it. I did. Um, I think that's a perfect uh, way to watch it is at home, you know, you know, red box, the Blu-ray or whatever you want, uh, get it on iTunes. Um, it, it's not a bad movie. I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. If I had gotcha. to give it a rating, um, there were some elements that I didn't love. Uh, you know, it takes place mostly in West Virginia, but then they, they do the heist uh, at this NASCAR event in, I, I believe, North Carolina. But, um, yeah, the accents were hit or miss, uh, especially <laughs> Adam Driver. I, oh, really? I was kind of – he's usually, you know, spot on and a really great actor, obviously, but his accent kind of took me out of the movie. Um, you know, it starts – if a movie with Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, and James Bond, a.k.a. Daniel Craig, uh, can't, you know, draw a bigger audience than this, like, maybe NASCAR is just not not a mass-viewing <laughs> movie subject. Uh, I mean, I just, it didn't yeah. it didn't take off like maybe they, they expected, especially with these big, uh, you know, big stars in the film. But, um, you know, it's fun. There's, there's a bit of heart to it. Uh, there was one moment that I was a little... Uh, a little, um, you know, caught off guard emotionally. There's a, I made some tears, but uh, <laughs> wow. they did not fall down my face. But um, oh, okay, yeah, water, a little choked water. up. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of silly. But yeah, it's uh, it was fun. Um, ultimately, probably pretty forgettable. But uh, you know, it's it's worth watching at home. I would say. And uh, something about the the marketing. And you said you know, uh, Steven Soderbergh wanted co- uh, full complete you know, uh, creative control. The writer is, is, uh, credited as being a, this woman named, let me pull it up, uh, Rebecca Blunt. And apparently she has like no IMDB page and no previous works cited. And apparently like the cast had some contact with her, but only through email and so for me, it's a it's a clear pseudonym, like somebody else wrote it. It may have even been Steven Soderbergh who wrote it. Like there are there's even a hint or a, uh, a, 
a mention of Ocean's Eleven in the movie. So like it's clearly influenced by those. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm totally off base here, but uh, yeah, it, I wouldn't be shocked if Steven Soderbergh even wrote this movie also. So yeah, yeah it's kind of kind of a weird one. Got you. Yeah, and oh yeah, it'd be interesting with this kind of like innovative strategy that they took. And making it since it wasn't, it didn't really pan out from a financial point of view. Yeah. If how that kind of uh, develops over the next few years with yeah. these directors, but um, yeah. So I think that is it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Uh, thanks so much, everyone, as always, for listening. Really appreciate the support. Um, and if you like what you heard, please remember to leave, uh, you know, rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or tweet about us or yeah spread the word um tell a friend uh check out our site send the links totally (laughs) totally um so yeah let's uh let's wrap things up all right so in the words of matthew mcconaughey as rust cole from true detective season one you know someone once told me time is a flat circle someone once told me time is a flat circle